1: Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode.
0: Hello and welcome to the Football Digest podcast. I'm Conor Bromley and I'm joined again by my friend Mark Jones from the Mirror Football team and we are here to talk pretty much all things England day. Um England, of course, drew 1-1 with Ukraine on Saturday evening. Mark, what's your overall thoughts on the game? We're going to jump into some team selection question marks uh, and some question marks about some of the starters. But initially, what's your reaction to that draw? And do you think England will be happy with a, a point for a, a tricky away game? Um, I don't know about happy, but
1: it's it's not a it's not a terrible result, is it? It's, it's from being there the most difficult game in a, in a, also one of the most difficult games, obviously they've, they've already had Italy away, but, um, you know, the most difficult one that was remaining in, in the group and, and it's, and it's start a terrible result. I think we're just so used to seeing England breeze through these, these qualifiers because they, they don't tend to play the, the toughest opposition because England are one of the best sides in Europe. So they're always one of the top seeds and they always go through as you'd expect with a, a country the size it is, and and with a Premier League to choose from of all these wonderful players, so I think it's always a, a tiny bit of a shock when they don't when they don't get a result, they don't get a win against um, a nation like Ukraine. But you've got to give Ukraine credit. You know, there's obviously so much going on in their lives at the moment, but but on a, from a, from a football sense, they were able to to refocus really and, and and get a good result and. Um, and it certainly helped their chances, hasn't it? And Italy Italy only drew with uh, with North Macedonia, so that's really opened things up for them in in, in the group. So, um, yeah, I think it's, on, on the balance of things, it's, it's not terrible trembling, really.
0: What about the team selection? So I've got on the notes here, did Southgate case team selection. I've also got some players that I'm surprised didn't start. Marcus Rashford and Phil Foden being two of them. Jordan Henderson did start. And... Um, Harry Maguire also started as well, and there was question marks around him as well. What did you make of Southgate's team selection? Do you think he got it right or do you think he got it wrong? Again, there's, there's, it's so easy to, to, to say
1: that he got it wrong because they didn't win, and because you just look at that bench; it's so, it's, it's so talented. It's, it's, it's the strongest England squad I can ever remember. Um, you know, we see, we see all these players performing week in, week out for their for their club sides and. We always want to see more of them um, on the international stage. You know, he can, he, he's able to sort of chop and change and bring in these players. And I remember I was I was over in Qatar and and uh, seeing when England played Wales, and um, and Rashford and Foden played in that game, and they're England's best players, and they'd probably be the best players in, in most in most international sides. So if you're leaving out players of that caliber, then there's going to be questions, and especially when the players who you come in. Um, obviously, James Madison came in, and uh, Jude Bellingham, perhaps playing a little bit out of position, but um, no, I think it's it's a team selection which it will it will teach Southgate some things, I think, um, and I think there's a natural pragmatism about him, which a lot of England fans are probably picking up on at the moment. Um, and in terms of you know, is he is he the man to take this this incredibly talented group to? To what they all want what everyone what everyone in England wants, which is to see them win win a, a trophy and they have the talent to do um so in terms of his selection well, they, they they didn't win so so yeah he, he got it wrong but um uh there's enough options there for him to for him to change it and i I just like to see him be a little bit bolder at times in terms of how he how he selects his team
0: what do you make of? the so the kind of the loyalty I would say the players but you know that we're going to talk probably a bit more in depth on Jordan Henderson but Harry Maguire you know I think he's, he's not been playing for Manchester I'd, I apologize if you can hear my dog going wild with the <laughs> Amazon man at the front door. Um, but Harry Maguire starting that game and still getting selected what, what do you make of Southgate's loyalty to certain players because we also saw Raheem Sterling not selected for the squad yeah. somebody who has been really loyal with what do you make of, of that dynamic at the minute it's, I mean, in the
1: case of Maguire, it is a situation where, I mean, England have injuries there, Obviously, there's no, there's no John Stones uh, at the back and you'd think he'd be a an automatic uh, sort of selection. Um, Maguire is quite a, you don't want to say unique, but he's quite a, a sort of rare footballer in the sense that play on that left, uh, you know, he can play on the left because of the three, can't he? Obviously played in the two as well. Um and yeah, Southgate just seems to, I, I, I wouldn't call it a blind spot because at the end of the day, I mean, it's not its not a crime to not be in the Manchester United team. Um, you know, it's, I mean, you can argue he's probably been a bit unfortunate in it, probably just in the last couple of sort of days, weeks of the window. Um, United obviously got an injury, didn't they, to, to Raphael Varane. So that probably shut down any, any chance of a move for him. Now, he probably did have a chance to move earlier in the window and, and maybe that's where he needs to look at himself and needs to look at perhaps his demands that he's looking for and and maybe decide what's important for him at the age of, what is he now, 13, must be. Um, so in terms of gets loyalty, and, and yeah, I know we'll, we'll talk about Henderson, I know, but um, this is the way he manages and this is how he's got. I mean, he's been England's most successful manager um, in, in in a long time, in terms of getting to the latter stages of tournaments, now there's a debate there that can be had. Like, is that down to him, or is that down to the quality of players he has around him? I think there's a strong argument for for the latter, to be honest. But but in terms of Maguire, he, he sees him as this steady, the steady player, um, and he's you know it's not just him. He's there's been questions in the past that in terms of Jordan Pickford, hasn't there? And he stuck with him. Um, I'd say probably rightly so on his England performances, uh, and he probably have him as, as more of a trustworthy keeper than than maybe the other options he's got there. So maybe he sees that in Maguire, and, he's, and but as, as I say, well we'll, we'll speak about it with Henderson. But there has to come a point where he's not playing football, and that has to be a a problem for England if he's not playing for Man United. Because even as I say, Varane's out, but um, Lindelof comes in, doesn't he? And, and obviously Martinez keeps his place there, and. So, the, the, the loyalty, I saw some quotes from uh, James Madison. Uh, he basically said, it, it, was, it was his sort of first, he recently basically made his first appearance since you know, sort of 2019 he first got in, and then he, he went like three years without getting in, in the squad or getting a game. And he basically said, it's almost harder to play yourself sort of out of the squad than into it, in a way. Um, it's just Southgate is loyal. And if you're a player that's 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 fine if, you know i, I mean if, i'm sure harry Maguire feels a lot more confident player for england than he does for man united at the moment um but there has to come a point where you question is the manager are, are the manager's actions in picking some of these players what's right for the team and i would say we're fast approaching a point with a couple of players where it's probably
0: not yeah and we'll talk now about jordan henderson um we did talk about this on the Thursday football digest us as well, but the interview that he gave um, to the Athletic to me made him and England for that matter look quite silly. I mean, he, it was almost like he went into that interview unprepared. You know, I think he should have known what questions were coming and he didn't have the correct answers for it. But then I think what's made that worse is it is Southgate's kind of doubled down on it in his press conferences and defended him and, then Henderson's not been a starter for England for a long time. Like Henderson has generally been a a substitute for England. So to start him for the game against Ukraine, to me felt like Southgate was almost making a point of, you know, you can't tell me who I'm going to be playing. I'm going to start Jordan Henderson because there's nothing to suggest in terms of form, in terms of recent Jordan Henderson, England performances and the fact that Henderson's now playing in a, you know, a poor quality league that Henderson would be starting that game. I mean, it's, if you think about it as well, is he's if he, Henderson playing meant that he's not played Rashford or Foden. So in my head anyway, that's how I looked at it, because you can play Bellingham and Rice together and James Madison, who prefers to be more central than on a wing. So Henderson going in there kind of made the team not balanced, in my opinion. So that was my big question mark from the game at the weekend was why did Henderson start and all the noise surrounded Jordan Henderson. It just didn't seem like a good fit for him to start that game. But What do you make of that? Is my assessment fair or am I maybe just being a little bit too sensitive to that issue? No, I think you're fair. I think, I, um, not so much starting. and he played the whole game as well.
1: Um, and you know, you think in a world of, in a world of five substitutes and the talent England have, for him to see out that game, a game that they that they would they didn't they didn't win. It's not as if they were three and up and cruising. Um I think there's an element of again, it's the loyalty question. Um Henderson has been a very good player for Southgate for 10 years or whatever it is. Um not necessarily always the most popular player, but a player who and the same with Liverpool as well, a player who would be you know, a, a real popular figure for the players around him. I'm sure he's a very popular figure around the squad. And so, I think, as with I think in a lot of cases, and you're probably seeing it at Liverpool as well. There's still a little bit of a shock that he's done what he's done. It's it's still it, even when you see him in the in the in the kit, it still looks a bit hot. It still looks like you know, like why? Yeah, it's, it's bit, the interview he gave, um, yeah, it didn't do him any favors. He seemed to go into it, kind of determined to put his point across, but do he did it very well. Um, he must have known the questions that were going to come. Um, he, there's been a, there's when people try to defend him, which I've seen people do, they point to the fact that he's not the only one who's gone, and obviously that's true. And you know, there's, I mean, there's, there's someone like Stephen Gerrard's there. He's obviously his manager. Um, But the issue is that none of these people did what he did and and none of these people put himself forward um, to take up a position, which he didn't need to do, but he did. And we all believed he chose to um, out of sort of kindness of his own heart or out of his um, sort of desire to try and make a change. Now I still believe that's true, but you can't just pick up and put these things down because these are these are issues that affect people every day, and to turn essentially turn his back on that by doing what he did, it, it's right that there's that there's anger towards him. Um, it's right that people would now question him because, as you say, he's now playing in a league where it's it's just not it's, it's it's nowhere near the standard of the rest of the England players, and I think there's a sense that maybe Southgate thought he would put him in this squad because. If he didn't, it would be seen as a real political statement, wouldn't it? And I don't think he's Southgate's not someone who wants to try and make some of these statements. And he's very wants to play things by the book. So he thought, well, let's at least get him in for the first camp. But I I I can't see how he stays in it purely because he's playing in this league. You know, it's 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 when there are when there are players playing in the Premier League, playing around Europe as well, who are playing at such a high level. So he has to, maybe he thought this, he owed him, maybe Southgate thought he owed him this one in terms of putting him in, keeping him around the, around the group. But you have to think there's conversations taking place where, I mean, is Southgate going to go to Saudi Arabia to watch him? Um, I, I, you know, again, does that, does that cause a storm when he does? So, um, yeah, I think there's an element of getting him in this camp, having a look at him.
0: Uh, next one's in a, in a month's time, isn't it? interesting to see if he's in that one. To me, I look at Liverpool, you know, the situation they're in. So we know that Liverpool needed to rebuild their centre midfield. And I would say comparably Liverpool are one of the top teams in Europe. England are one of the top international teams. If Jurgen Klopp looks at Jordan Henderson and says, you know, you've been my captain for 10 years, well not 10 years, but he's been at Liverpool for over 10 years, been the captain there for years, and you're not good enough to play for that Liverpool midfield anymore. So we're going to sell you to just because we want £10 million essentially. Um, because that's what he's worth to us at that time. How on earth can Gareth Southgate look at him and go, well, Jurgen Klopp doesn't think that he's good enough to be a Premier League settlement midfielder anymore. No other Premier League team, from what I recall, were interested in him as well on top of that. Now that might be because they knew that he was going to take this offer, but there was no other interest in him. So to me, that suggests... I would probably trust Jurgen Klopp's judgment over Gareth Southgate on the balance of, I know Southgate's done a good job at England, but on the balance of things. So to me, that that raises the question of why, if Jurgen Klopp doesn't think he's good enough, why does Gareth Southgate think he is good enough when we know the options that England have in their team at the minute? It just doesn't make any sense to me.
1: Yeah, uh, and it, it smacks of Southgate perhaps not wanting to make a decision, not wanting to, you know bend from what served him well as being quite a you know small C conservative manager, isn't he? Really, the the way that he's got England as far as he has done has been built on on a quite pragmatic approach at times. I don't think they've played the best football. I think they have they have at times, but but it goes back to what I said before. I think they've got the talent there now. They've got the talent playing for. I mean, I mean Jude Bellingham is starting for Real Madrid. Harry Kane is is by Unik's superstar striker who they hope to win the Champions League with. So England England don't have any excuses for me in in, in that sense anymore. And in, in the midfield, you're seeing, you know, I mean, someone like James Wall prowse has gone to West Ham and started really well. Um, so, yeah, the, 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 Liverpool, the Liverpool side of it, I think it was obvious. I mean, you can go as far back as January, February, when Klopp dropped Henderson and Fabinho from the team. Because they weren't, they just went up to it, and and there was a real physical drop off from the both of them, and I think that's where the the idea of selling them probably probably came in, and that's what much idea of selling them, but more Liverpool knew they had to basically change their entire midfield, and so in order to make that happen, they were going to have to ship everyone out, and I think there was a, there would have been a world where they they probably would have kept Henderson as a kind of. James Milner figure, it would come on for the last ten minutes and probably kick people and get booked and and do and do the odd game at right back and you know and I I think from from what I gather I think that was basically put to him that was put to Henderson essentially as you know he had two years after his contract and I think maybe he thought well no I'd like to well obviously we know he's he said hasn't he he said having been having been told this by Klopp, Klopp basically saying you're not going to get the chances because there's McAllister, Sobersly, Graven Birch eventually. Um, and he decided, no, I want to go and start games. Now there's a there's a world away from starting games for Liverpool and playing in the Saudi League in my in my we've just seen it with Salah, we? have just seen it with Salah, where on the one hand, yes, there's this sort of um the geographical angle with Salah, which makes it perhaps a little bit different. But on the other if he'd have gone to Saudi Arabia now, he'd have just, he'd have just walked, he'd have walked that league. So for Henderson, there's a physical question. Certainly the back end of last season, physically he looked, he looked like he dropped off a little bit. And so I'd have thought maybe the James Milner job of 10 minutes, 15 minutes, kicking people, getting booked, shouting at referees, that would do him. And he probably still got the England squad for that. I wouldn't be surprised, given we know that Southgate, is, as you said about Southgate's loyalty. So he's decided to do this this new challenge people try new things um, you know perhaps isn't isn't to be criticised most of the time but but there's so much to criticise about what he did Um, and I just like I say I I go back to it I just can't see it I can't see it how he he stays around at the top level of international football now playing in in a league that that is not that you know is is, is nowhere near that Um, and it's full of players who yes were at the top level once but um, they're certainly not there anymore.
0: We'll jump now to England, uh, well, Scotland playing England, I suppose since it's in Scotland, uh, in Scotland. But yeah. this feels, you know, with Scotland playing so well at the minute, I mean, they've had such a good start of their, their qualifying campaign and, you know, they, they look like they're on the up at the minute and they've got quite an exciting squad as well. This game feels to me so much like a, a, it almost feels harsh to say a banana skin for England, but it kind of feels like a sort of game which England won't, you know, they might not be up for it as much as Scotland. Um, a friendly game. So, you know, there's, there's only pride, I suppose, lying on it. Um, this feels like a really hard game for England, I think as well, with everything that's happening with England. it doesn't To me, from the outside looking at it, England doesn't feel like a happy camp with them. I and mean, I don't know why, it just doesn't feel like, everything, you know, the Roo has about Gareth Southgate leaving as well. It doesn't feel like the England team of a couple of years ago where everything was so positive. This feels like a, a potential wake-up call, I think, for England. I don't know what you think, maybe I'm looking too much into it, but do you think this is a really difficult game for England? Yeah, yeah, I think it's a great game for Scotland. Um,
1: you know, they're pretty much there in terms of the Euros, which shouldn't be sort of scoffed at. We, you know, um I know from I know from following Wales that it, it's hard it's hard to qualify for these tournaments when you're when you're a country of that size. and what's happened in recent years is perhaps qualification has changed slightly and it's given more countries a chance of doing it. And Scotland have absolutely embraced it this time around. I don't think um, confidence was was sky high going into this this qualification campaign, but they've been superb and they've and I, yeah, I think this is a great game for them because as I say, qualifications pretty much done. Um, there's no real jeopardy on it it's a friendly but obviously there is because they're gonna they're gonna treat they're gonna they're gonna tear into nine. they're gonna make it a great atmosphere and yeah I think they're gonna sense a bit of a vulnerability within England um, you know there's obviously debates about we just have to debate about about who plays in defence for England who plays in the field I think Scotland will have a pretty settled approach and they'll, and they'll just go for them and um, as I say I don't think they've got anything to lose um, I think it's going to be it's going to be one of the uh, one of the fierier sort of friendlies that you're going to see, and um, and yeah, I, I think from an England point of view, there's an argument to say they could really have done without it. You know, um, as I, I, at a time when there are these questions, uh, there are these questions over selection over the manager. Um, do they do they want this game against the side that's going to be revved up to beat them? Um, if you, if I mean, it, it seems on paper in England should win, um, but I think there's an extra element to this game, and it must be the most confident Scotland have been going into a game like this for a long, long time. So, no, it should be good. Um, I mean, yeah, international friendlies are often ones to avoid, aren't they? But I'll definitely be watching this one.
0: What do you think Southgate will do with his team? You know, you'd you think because it's a friendly that you would try and get some players in there who maybe you know need some minutes, You know, give some debuts as well, you know, or does he look at this as, uh, as I said, it's because it's such a an important, as important to friendly as you can get, I would say, you know, it's, it's going to be a one that there's going to be a lot of scrutiny on. If England were to lose it, there'll be question marks asked. So do you think that he'll take the approach of treating it very seriously and lining up in the way that he did uh, on Saturday and put out what he thinks is his best team?
1: I think he'd be better off going a bit braver, a bit bolder and actually um, throwing in, you mentioned the likes of Foden and Rashford there. Um, I think he'd be, I think he'd be making a mistake if he saw it as, oh, let's sit back and, you know, pack the midfield and try and grind out a one nil or something like that, which I know is maybe his nature sometimes. I would I'd, I'd use the friendly nature of it and use the, atmosphere of it and perhaps turn it around on Scotland but in Um I'd be I'd be picking Rashford I'd be picking uh, Foden Saka obviously Kane um, you know I think that's 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 a really exciting out uh, front four and then you've got Declan Rice there to hold it in midfield um, I mean I, I, I can't see him picking Emerson again to be honest not after he did 90 minutes um, at the weekend so he's got a decision to make there but uh, maybe someone like Conor kind of Gallagher or something like that could come in. Um but I mean as I say, on paper, England England have the better the better players. Um mm. I just think it's an occasion and, it, and and it's and it's great. Look, it's it's you uh, we saw we saw Scotland in the last Euros, didn't we? Where unfortunately we were still we were still affected by COVID and so they weren't able to have a full Hamden, but they they all they got behind them and it was great to see. And they'll be flying into this next Euros, which they in in Germany next next to it's a great test for them so yeah I'd, I'd say I'd be if I'm England I'm I'm going I'm going for it and I'm almost trying to turn try to turn Scotland's excitement about this game onto them a little bit and, and and try and try and pin them back and try to impose yourself on the game because ultimately you've got but you've got the better players so um but where Southgate does that is 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 another matter.
0: Yeah, I remember um, Scotland at Hamden Park. I think it was Lee Griffiths scored a hat trick. I think for Scotland, from memory, I remember have I mean, scored two.
1: got two was it two two? Kane got yeah, I think it might be yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure Kane's goal was like really late as well. The equaliser, very like last, very very late. Like last minute equaliser. Scotland were on the verge of winning, which um, would have been a huge for them. They haven't beaten them. I think is it 99? It's the last time um, yeah, it's on the the Euro 2000 playoff? Which, yeah, which has won the. Second leg, yeah. So, well, yeah, Scotland won the second leg, yeah. Um, so I just, this must be Scotland's best chance to get a, to get a win over them
0: for, for quite a while. Yeah, this century. That's <laughs> <laughs> scary. Very scary. Uh, we'll switch now. Um, yeah, no, we don't normally talk about Scottish football on here, but I thought this was an interesting story that Rangers seemingly aren't happy with their manager, Michael Beale. And I've seen Graham Potter linked quite heavily, but there was a story on Mirror Football today um, talk and about potentially Graham Potter being linked with that job in Rangers fancying him. To me, that that feels like a really good move for all parties. I think for Rangers, they're going to be getting a genuine top class manager, you know, somebody who I think can rival Brendan Rogers, who's obviously at Salt at the moment. And I think for Graham Potter, it's a chance to go in somewhere where you've got a chance of winning trophies and you've got a chance to really build a football club up from scratch, which is kind of where Rangers are at the minute. But what do you make of this link? Do you think this is a, a good move for Graham Potter? If it were to happen, obviously, Michael Beal saw a job, so it's all just paper talk at the minute.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it would be. I think, you know, you've got the added, the added bonus there of European football. Um, Graham Potter's probably in this position now. I actually saw the other day. I mean, it's amazing how time plays it was. The other day was a year to the day that he was hired by Chelsea. <laughs> you know, and that just seems, yeah. I mean, it, it, how long was it? Five months, six months, and he was gone. Um, and it's a shame that what's what happened to him because prior to that, again, we we perhaps we tend to we tend to forget. You know, I mean, we we all love loading Brighton and Deserby now, don't we? But but that was that was Potter who you know, like Potter's side, were fantastic, and fantastic to watch. Rangers, yeah, Rangers strikes was a good move for him. Like I say, European football, a good stage to show yourself on. He's basically got this choice, doesn't he? Where he can sit tight, and we know, come up, come October, November, we know there'll be two or three Premier League jobs. Now the question is, do you want to take over those sides because they'll they'll be down there? I, I, yeah, I think it's pretty, it's pretty, like it's, it's pretty rare to get. I think, well, I think I think Deserbi is one of the rare. One of the rare ones, isn't he, where you actually get to walk into a job where a club's actually playing well. Um so he can choose to wait for that. If he really wants to be in the Premier League, he can choose to wait for some of those sides at the bottom. Um, maybe, I don't know, what look at what's happening at Everton, perhaps, you know, in terms of but we know they've got they've got financial issues down there. You perhaps look at uh, you know, there's been issues around Fulham, hasn't there? Marco Silva potentially being tempted away. You know, do you wait for that? Or do you or do you go you go to Rangers and, and embrace what is a a league that we all we all know about the rivalry with with Celtic. Obviously Brendan Rodgers back there, he's taking a step back to go to Celtic to perhaps rebuild again to maybe come and, and, and try and try something else in maybe a year or two. And I can see Potter doing that. I can see now that was that was the plan for Stephen Gerard, wasn't it? That was the plan that when 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 Gerard went to Rangers and, and he won the league. You know, he he stopped he stopped Celtic's dominance, things will go well for there. I think in hindsight, he'll probably say he went to Villa too early. He he, he should have stayed for another year or two at, at Rangers and um, you know really tried to build on what he had there. So um, I think Rangers Rangers are a club that we know finishing finishing second is about season, isn't it? But Rangers essentially, well, it's a season where you haven't lived up to your your hopes. Um, whereas if you manage Aston Villa or most Premier League sides, the scope is massive in terms of what um what could happen. I mean maybe so I'm just thinking about other clubs. I mean Newcastle haven't started the season well. What 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 would happen if what would happen if uh something happened there. They had a poor result in the league again, yeah, Champions League went poorly. Would they get him rid of how? Would they look at the Zerby, allowing Potter to go back to Brighton. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of these questions that he would have to he would have to weigh up. But if he wants a job now and if yeah, as you say, uh Michael Beale is still there, he's he was highly regarded as a, as a manager. He obviously worked with Gerard before. He is someone who is obviously inexperienced still as, as a number one. He's got a lot of experience as a coach. He was at Liverpool before. He was, um, as I say, with with Gerard at, at Villa, which was a lot part of his success there. Um, so we'll wait and see what happens with that. Maybe maybe a poor start at Europe could be could be trouble for him. Um, but no, Potter. I'd like to see Ponce back in football soon because he's, he's, a, he's a good manager and he's someone that we like, um, we like to watch his teams
0: play. So I would look at Rangers as a good option for him, yeah. Yeah, I think though he probably is the number one, any Premier League team that sacks a manager this season, he's probably the number one on the shortlist. Yeah. So in terms of finances, I doubt Rangers will be able to match a Premier League wage. So that's the only trepidation I have with that one. Um, Germany? lost 4-1, didn't it to Japan at the weekend? Yeah. Hansi Flick has been given the chalk. Um, do you think there's any chance that Germany might come calling for Liverpool's <laughs> Jurgen Klopp? Or do you think that maybe that's just going to come a little bit too early in terms of Klopp rebuilding that Liverpool team?
1: Yeah, I think it's come. It, it, I wouldn't be surprised if he did it one day. Um, That's perhaps the last job. Like he's... He's quite often said that he he doesn't see himself as someone who is managing late into his sort of sixties. Like I think he um, he obviously famously did with seven years at Mainz, seven years at Dortmund, and then after seven at Liverpool, people thought that might be that might be it. But I think he'll stay now for another another cup, they he'll take his they will take his reign. I think over ten years, and and at this time, we've obviously seen what happened in the summer with the the rebuild in the in the midfield. I think he's quite excited. He seems he seems quite energised. I don't know. mean, suddenly, I might be reading too much into it, but he suddenly seems to be coming across a bit just a little bit sort of lighter in interviews again. He seems to have more of a smile on his face. He's not as moody as we've seen him before. He doesn't moan about as many things as we've seen him before. He'll probably start again at some point. But um he seems to be rejuvenated a bit. So I wouldn't I wouldn't say Germany would seem to him right now. Now oh, it's tempting. Look, they've got the Euros, they've got the Euros in the summer. I mean, you know what 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 a great opportunity for a German manager that is. Um, but no, I think, so his contract with Liverpool is until 2026. So that's this season and then two more. Um, and I think that might be it after that. So maybe you're looking at, yeah, post sort of 2026 World Cup, perhaps whoever, whoever takes that Germany job now, and then he could go into that. Um, so no, I just think the timing isn't quite right. Um, for club right now, but I wouldn't be out in the future.
0: We'll finish off the Ballon d'Or uh, nominations were announced and there's plenty of Premier League players on there. So I'm going to read through the Premier League players on there um, and the England English players as well. We've got Andre Onana, Josco from who's just moved to Manchester City, uh, Mohamed Salah, Jude Bellingham who of course plays for Real Madrid, Amidabekai Saka. Uh, got Kevin De Bruyne, Bernardo Silva, Emiliano Martinez, Aston Villa goalkeeper Ruben Diaz, Erling Haaland, Martin Odegaard, Julian Alvarez, Ilkay Gundogan, Rodri, and we have Harry Kane as well. So I think that pretty much sums up all the English and Premier League players. Do you see a Premier League winner of the Ballon d'Or, or do you think that because Messi won the World Cup, I mean? Does that count on this year's Ballon d'Or? I think Probably it does, yeah. because yeah, yeah. for last season. So Messi, yeah. World Cup winner, do you think this is maybe the last Ballon d'Or that he wins? Or do you see the chance for maybe, you know, Kylian Mbappe, who scored a hat in the World Cup final, surely? <laughs> he'll be thinking I should have a, a chance at this. Erling Haaland as well, you know, Champions League winner and scored so many goals for Man City. He seems the obvious Premier League candidate. But what do you think? Who do you think the, the favourites are for the Ballon d'Or? I think I think I think this year is your
1: Premier League um, standout. I think you know the way he he sort of swept the board with all the awards last season, some so coming in and and um, and dominating the way he did. I just got a feeling they'll probably give Messi one more, um, <laughs> and they'll probably say, right, you know, you've done everything now, and 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 you will you will you it off with where's I've lost count. What is it six or seven? Um, it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's not. I'm not, the, I'm not the biggest father of Ballon d'Or the way, the way it's all the way it's all conducted and the way it's you know it, I mean it basically became this Ronaldo and Messi sort of side job didn't it for so many years and and I think it took away from a lot of the sort of team achievements from a lot of those sides around that time so um, it's it's changed obviously in recent years with obviously with, with Ronaldo getting older and he's not even in the nom- nominations this year I, see, I don't think um, which yeah doesn't doesn't exactly bode well for Saudi Arabia in terms of going out there. But, um, yeah, I think I think Messi for one last one. And then in future, yeah, Haaland. Harland, and Mbappe look like they'll be the ones who are, who are battling it out. Haaland's got, got the sort of difficult task of playing for a country who might not necessarily get to some of these things. So, whereas Mbappe, you know, they're I mean, it'd be, it'd be a shock if France aren't in the last eight of the Euros, wouldn't it? Next, next summer, and so you know, they're they're going kind to of be pressing and pushing for those things. And and I do wonder how much they think about that. Some of these, some of these um, uh, individual players, in terms of how much they think about mean I know, like Salah, for example, has quite. It, I don't think Salah thinks he could ever win it if he went to Saudi Arabia, for example. So you know, it this does, and also probably not. Liverpool out in the Champions League so do these do these things affect how they approach stuff how they affect transfers And Vape will one day probably go to Real Madrid where I'm sure he thinks that is a better place for him to win the Ballon d'Or than PSG so um, it's it seems to have become a bit of a fascination for players in this day probably created by Messi and Ronaldo um, but yeah as I say I wouldn't be shocked if, if Messi pulled it off one last time
0: and final one before we go, which do you think will be the, the next English player to win it? So you, know, you look at Harry Kane, maybe if he has a good year of buying and wins everything and he's the front man, maybe he could be a shoe for next year. But Jude Bellingham, having such a strong start of the season, could he be the next obvious yeah. you're going to Bakayo Saka if he fires Arsenal to a title? Which player though, do you think English that is most likely to win it? Probably not this year, but next, this time next
1: year. I'd say right now, if I had to put money on it in Bellingham, at some point in his career, because he's at he's at the club, you know, he's at one of the clubs that win these things. I'd love to see, I'd love to see Kane do it. That would be brilliant. I would, I, I, I would, I would love to see Kane, you know, take Bayern Munich to the Champions League. That would be brilliant. Um, so if he did that, yeah, could he? I mean, he probably needs to do that, and then the Euros, perhaps for England, and then that that would that would be him doing it. But but no, I think I think Bellingham, Bellingham's in the best place. Saka's Saka's uh, development has been remarkable. He. He basically needs Arsenal to sort of stick around at the top top end of the game now for him to start entering these conversations. I think I think he's not quite there yet. Um, so yeah, if I had to pick one, it'd be, it'd be Bellingham at the moment. But um, you know, it's, it, the way the way he started the way he started his his Real Madrid career is um, is something special. And, and if he can keep making the difference come you know the last days of the Champions League this season and the seasons in, in future, then he's definitely got a shout.
0: I'll go with Chris Rigg, the 16-year-old who's banging them <laughs> in for Sunderland. That'll 16. be my pick to him.
1: Yeah. He's got, well, uh, well, so he's got, what, another 20
0: years to be able to achieve it. So yeah, you never know. You go in, you go in. You yeah. Well, to <laughs> he's just matched Jude Bellingham's record. I think, I think okay. he missed him by about 15 days of youngest championship goal scorer. So, never know. And also, Joel is up at Sunderland as well, yeah. so he could, yeah. he could match so his we're doing, in a few years. We're having this conversation in 2045 and, um,
1: and Chris Wigg's got three, and Joe Bellingham's got two. G only got one. Then yeah, I'll, that'll
0: be that'll be me <laughs> three-one. Yeah, well, actually, I wonder what odds you could get with that with the boogies. <laughs> uh, anyway, Mark, thanks for joining me this morning. Thanks, thanks everybody for listening, and we'll catch everyone on Wednesday or Thursday, maybe after the the England Scotland game, but definitely on Thursday.